Father, thank you for bringing us here today. We know that you have lots of our peers who are not here today because they are otherwise occupied with their kids. And we just pray that you will bless them. You'll bring them back next week. But you'll, we know that you'll be here in our midst today. And we thank you for that. We pray for Megan, who will be doing the teaching. We pray that you'll open our hearts to hear her message and that you will hear us as we worship you in the next few minutes. In your precious name we pray. Amen. Well, I'm not going to teach today. I think the songs are good. <laughs> uh, what's beautiful about that is that I simply told Daphne, she said, what's the theme? What are you teaching? I said, the church. And she picked those songs. That's beautiful. We are the church, and not through I, but through Christ and me. And that's what it's all about. And that's what Paul teaches us so much in this teaching today. So thank you, Daphne, and thank you that the Holy Spirit is at work here with us today. It's just beautiful. So the theme today that I'm focusing on is the church. And I think both of those songs so eloquently, so beautifully put together what the church is, that we are the people joined together and that we live not through ourselves but through Christ in us and that we are the church and what Paul is doing to build the church and connecting that to the church today and why we are here and how we have the same foundation that Paul had when he was working to start and build and multiply and grow the church. All right, so we're going to make all these connections to what Paul did and what we are doing today through his example. So just to kind of talk about, hopefully you guys, if you can't read that, I'm reading it to you anyway. Um, to kind of talk about where we're at. So with the reading this week, week, we're going through the second part of 2 Corinthians. Okay? So I'm going to give a little bit of background about what Paul was going through. So Paul was, up until this point, when we started our reading this week, he was waiting to hear from Corinth. There had been a situation, and we're not exactly sure what that situation was, but there was a visit that didn't go well, and he wrote a letter to them to deal with that situation. And so he's been waiting anxiously to find out how people are going to respond to this letter. And by most accounts, we can probably guess that he was kind of rebuking them for what they had done, whether it was their behavior or what they were doing. But he had to confront them, and he's anxiously waiting to hear what Corinth is going to say in return. So at the very end of last week, we read about Titus. Uh, Paul had sent Titus to Corinth with a letter saying, where are we? Where are we standing? I wrote this letter, and I need to know that I'm welcome to come back. And Titus comes back and says, the, the Corinthians, they accept you. They are sorry for what they have done. They accepted your letter, and we can rejoice in being reconciled together as we move forward. And Paul is like, yes, I have been waiting for this letter. I have been living anxiously. So what we read last week, he was writing bit by bit as he was traveling and kind of holding this anxiety kind of even though we don't want to live with anxiety it's it's there right we're still very human and he doesn't know what Corinth is going to say and do and then he gets that letter and he can move forward so the beginning and the second half of the letter are, are very different if we pay attention to how it's written um, and I think some of us can even relate to Paul if we've ever spoken the truth of what Christ is in different situations, 
and then waited anxiously for a response and what that is going to do either to a relationship or how society sees us or whether what people are going to say at the playground if we say we're Christians, we speak the truth of Christ, we can kind of live in anxiety a little bit about what that's going to do. And so we see Paul responding to that. Um, wow, even this is hard to read, Paul. All right, so as Paul moved from place to place and he was waiting for Titus, Titus brings this good news and he's going to continue his letter. And what I love about Paul and what is so important <laughs> and what is so important about Paul and what he demonstrates through his example is that he never says, okay, that's good enough. He didn't hear from Titus like, the Corinthians are sorry, all right? They, are, they love you, they want you to come back, and he didn't say, okay, let's just stop there and be comfortable. Let's not shake things up. I don't want to say anything that will, you know, make them, quite, you know, have any anxiety about me coming. He doesn't stop. He dives right in and, and actually begins to continue confronting, teaching, encouraging, and doing all these things with the Corinth church. So we know that Paul dealt with confrontation with the Corinthians. And so we're going to talk about what confrontation is and what that looks like through Paul's example. Okay? So I'm going to have some participation, I think, from you guys today. Okay? So the first question I have here, and I, I thought these were hard questions, and I, I also love the fact that I think these are hard, and I think you guys can come up with harder questions too. We have a lot of questions, right? So we're going to kind of go through some of these, these questions about confrontation and use Paul, use the word, to answer these questions, to guide us through, okay? So where and when do we face confrontation, and what does it look like? Can you guys think of ideas or examples of confrontation? Maybe through Paul's examples or what we face today. What, what does confrontation look like? Yeah. Well, anytime you disagree or you have a difference of opinion or you give your opinion to someone, uh, depending upon where they're coming from, they may feel you're being confrontational. Mm -hmm. um, you may not intend it that way, but right. I think anytime we have a different take on things. Right, so we were talking about confrontation when we talk about one-on-one, -on -one, right? When we're talking about whether it's opinion, whether it's where we're coming from, sharing, talking. So there's a one-on-one -on -one confrontation, right? Yeah, okay. I think confrontation is more one-on-one -on -one So that's one example. Are there other examples of confrontation besides one-on-one? -on -one? Yeah. Would you? So you can face a group confrontation. Is that? Well, I think they said that in the word that they bring the two or together. Right. So we can we can work with confrontation in groups. Right. So we can approach confrontation together. Right. We can walk forward with that foundation and walk forward in that confrontation, yeah? Did you have another? Yeah, just Absolutely, so ideology can be confrontational. We, we face confrontation worldly, right, with political parties, we face confrontation in what the world is telling us, so society can be confrontational. What about simply saying, 
I'm a Christian and I, I believe in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you say that at a playground, is there confrontation? As moms, I don't know if any can relate. So there's confrontation whether we want it or not, whether we go after it one-on-one, whether we focus on it as a group, but we're surrounded by it, right, by the world. There's confrontation. And even just as Christians, if we say we're a Christian, we can face confrontation. So confrontation is, I think, very encompassing. And we're here today to kind of help walk each other through confrontation, right? And we don't just have one confrontation and everything's fixed, right? We're going to have different kinds. We're going to also revisit confrontation and grow from it, hopefully, and reconcile with it. So my next question would be then, uh, as we talked about one-on-one and we talked about group, when, sh- when should we act when faced with confrontation? If we're talking about an issue with someone one-on-one, or we're talking with an issue that, as a group, we feel like we need to approach this confrontation, when and how do we find guidance with reconciliation? So I'm going to read from 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 21 to kind of talk about what this reconciliation, or when we should be dealing with confrontation. So 2 Corinthians 5, 15 through 21. So we have stopped, or is it 15? All right, so he died for everyone, and we're talking about Christ. He died for everyone, so those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ, who died and was raised for them. So when we're doing confrontation, we're doing it for Christ, with Christ. So we have stopped evaluating others from a human point of view. At one time, we thought of Christ merely from a human point of view. How differently we know him now. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. And all this is a gift from God who brought us back to himself through Christ. And God has given us this tack of reconciling people to him. So I think that's important, reconciliation. So when we talk about confrontation, it isn't about saying, okay, I separate myself from you. I judge you. This is what I'm saying about you. It's about reconciliation, about bringing people to Christ, being with Christ. For God, had, for God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. For God made Christ who never sinned to be the offering for our sin, so that we could be made right with God through Christ. So what we're reading here from Paul, Paul is focusing on reconciliation. He had confrontation with the Corinthian church, but the whole point of that confrontation was reconciliation. All right, they are ambassadors of Christ, and so that reconciliation is so important. And when it comes to confrontation, that's when you know to step forward and to make that the focus. Um, and I think it brings up a really big, tough question. How does one confront, how does one do this reconciliation, how does one can have these confrontations and yet not be judgmental? 
right? We're often said or told we can't judge, we don't judge, but then we're asked to confront. So how does that reconcile itself? What does that look like? So what I did is I looked up the words judgment and reconciliation. So let's talk about what those words mean, okay? To judge, one who makes judgment and one who is appointed to decide in a contest or competition, and one who gives an authoritative opinion. Okay, so judgment, I thought this, this one who gives an authoritative opinion. We think of judges, they have laws, they hear the information, and they make a judgment based on their, okay, I catch my breath, opinion. <laughs> and now I'm going to read what reconciliation means. Okay, and this is from BibleStudyTools.com. All right, reconciliation comes from the Greek family of words that has its roots in alasso. The meaning coming to this word is change or exchange. Reconciliation involves a change in the relationship between God and man or man and man. It assumes there has been a breakdown in the relationship, but now there has been a change from a state of enmity and fragmentation to one of harmony and fellowship. In Romans 5, 6 through 11, which we'll be reading, Paul says that before reconciliation, we were powerless, ungodly, sinners, and enemies. We were under God's wrath. Because of change or reconciliation, we became new creatures. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Reconciliation has to do with the relationships between God and man or man and man. So reconciliation is not an opinion, right? It's not looking at the information, making the facts, judging. Reconciliation is being reconciled and being changed through Christ. So when we talk about the difference, what I think is so important about what that reconciliation is, is that it's done out of love. God wants us to be with him. He wants us to be reconciled to him, okay? And so we aren't making judgments based on our opinion, and that's very different. I thought about this as I was driving here today. It takes me about 25 minutes with traffic in the mornings, and I realized when I'm driving, I'm judging. (laughs) (laughs) I get very judgy when I drive. Um, I have a set of laws that I can base this on, too. They're driving too fast. They're driving too slow. And I'm judging, and I'm getting angry, and it doesn't feel good, right? This, this is judgment. This is my opinion. <laughs> and I have rules to back it up, okay? I am not trying to reconcile these drivers to the road. <laughs> I am not driving out of love, you know, saying, for you, I will let you go ahead of me, <laughs> I want you to understand that this road is here for you. And if we follow the, you know, follow the road and we love each other, we're going to drive in love. Uh, no, I, no, it's very different. Do you see where I'm coming from? And the judgment doesn't reconcile me to the drivers. I am not made connected to them because of my judgments, right? Which is different when we talk about reconciliation and we're talking about being brought together in love through Christ, Okay. So I, I know that this will be something we'll continue to talk about. I mean, there, there are so many different situations, and we've talked about what gray areas are. 
Um, we've talked about what stumbling blocks can be and all these different types of confrontation, but keeping in mind the difference between judgment and reconciliation and what that means through Christ can help guide us along those lines. So how can we model Paul when dealing with confrontation? So the beautiful thing is we have Paul. We have the word. We have God's truth okay, to guide us on this. And we don't have to rely upon our opinions and our judgments, right? We can come to the word and we can find means of reconciliation. So what Paul does and what we see him do when he deals with confrontation is that, first of all, he's firm. What he believes, he believes with his whole heart. He is changed. He is reconciled with God and he is firm in that. That will not be shaken. So when he addresses the Corinthians, when he addresses issues, the different types of confrontation we've talked about, he is firm in what he believes. His foundation is strong. Paul was very good at being using affirmation. He affirmed the good things that he saw. He isn't blinded by the confrontation and what's wrong. He affirms what is good. All right? He, he can see that through Christ. These are our strengths. This is where we're struggling through Christ. We can do this together. He is honest. And I think honest is important to take into consideration because when we talk about different con confrontations, I think some of us often know what people want to hear. We know how to avoid confrontation, right? So knowing how to be honest and true to God's word and dealing with that confrontation, right? Paul teaches us that that's what he relies on. That's what's worth it to him. And Paul teaches us to be honest in our beliefs. He also teaches us to know the facts. He asks the questions. He doesn't finish his letter to the Corinthians until he hears from Titus. He wants to know what he is working with, what the confrontation is or is not. He wants to know the facts. And I think when we're dealing with any type of confrontation, we have to be cautious also like Paul's example. We need to know what the facts are so that out of love, we can deal with the confrontation with reconciliation in mind out of love, knowing the facts, as Paul did. And then Paul also, this isn't the first letter he's written to the Corinthians, right? He follows up. And I shared this last time that I think oftentimes the follow-up is sometimes the most difficult. So you've had your confrontation, you, you've spoken in truth and love, and you've kind of <coughs> bared your soul in, in, in speaking the truth, and now you need to follow up and find out how it was taken, how people are walking with it. Is there reconciliation based on this confrontation? What, what happened with what I shared with you? And sometimes that can be good, like his. He heard from Titus, and that confrontation brought them together. That brought them reconciliation. But it could have gone the other way. He could have found out his fears had come true because he was afraid that they were going to ask him for his references and that they found another teacher, and they were going in a different direction. But that wasn't the case, okay? He followed up, and because he followed up, he knew that he could move forward with them. He's gentle. We, I like how we see Paul being so very personal in these stories, and in, in, not in his stories, in his writing. 
we see him being very personal, okay? He is struggling with trying to, to teach, to mold, and to also be gentle and show love, okay? So he is also gentle after this confrontation. And most importantly, he speaks Christ's truth, and it's not his own opinion. If we turn to 2 Corinthians did I write? 4, 2. Let's see here, 2 Corinthians 4, 2. We don't try to trick anyone or distort the word of God. We tell the truth before God, and all who are honest know this. So he speaks the truth, but he speaks the truth in Christ. He doesn't speak his opinion as though it's truth. He speaks Christ's truth that is true. It's the word of God. He is our truth. And then when all else fails, discipline can come into, into play. And we've talked about that before, about how we go with one person, we go with multiple people, and then we, as a church, turn to discipline. But confrontation deals with so many different areas and types that we can do this all right, together with Christ and following Paul, Paul's example. All right. Now, why was Paul doing this? Go to the next slide. Why was confrontation so important? And this is where I come back again to what the church is. Why are we still here today having these conversations, learning from Paul? Because what he was doing, the foundation was so important. So what Paul was doing, he was spreading the good news, right? He was spreading the gospel, which is the good news. He was baptizing in the name of the Holy Spirit, and he was making disciples. So what his mission was, why confrontation mattered, is because he is doing these great things, but in the hope that people will grow from this and that they will in turn go and multiply. So what they're going to go and spread and tell others has to have a strong foundation. And what's beautiful about this, and through his teachings and through his examples, we are again still walking with that foundation today, 2,000 years later, right? That foundation is still there. So it's so important that he is correcting, teaching, guiding, and doing it correctly through Christ so that these things can happen. And it did. The church grew. It multiplied. It's still multiplying today. Thank goodness for Paul and his willingness to confront those things because it was important enough. It was necessary. Okay. We'll go to the next one. All right. And again, I love this about Paul. So once Paul meets with Titus, his mind is set at ease about the Corinthian church. Things are good. But he doesn't stop teaching. He doesn't stop encouraging. He doesn't stop correcting. He did not apologize for his severity and thought, um, and it caused much anxiety, but it was worth it. He says, you know, he doesn't apologize for this because it's that foundation we were talking about. And we talked a lot about what suffering can be, and that can be sorrow sometimes. Sorrow can lead to salvation, and he believed this. This was hard. It brought sorrow, but it was worth it for our salvation. He has returned confidence in them. And in this, what I see is the church. I see the joy, the responsibility, the burden, the accountability, the trials, the tribulations of the church. So my next question for you all is, what is the church? 
what is the church then? If Paul's working so hard to build the church, and we are part of the church, what does the church mean? Who is that? Believers. Believers. Okay. And what is the church not, or what is the church? Can you guys... We get together. So people who get together, believers. Okay. The body of Christ. We build each other up. Absolutely. Keep each other accountable. We confront and reconcile. You're paying attention. <laughs> Okay, I thought a lot about this, and so I don't know if any of you all will recognize this, but when I was talking and thinking about the church for the teaching, um, I don't know if you know the song, We Are the Church. Anyone know that from a kid? (laughs) Well, I found the words online, and I'm just going to share them with you, and I think it's beautiful that we learned, I learned this, the first part at least, as a child, and so I'm just going to read it to you because I think it's beautiful, but it also will tie in everything I think that Paul was working on. And it's, it was a simple children's song. Nice. Okay, so I am the church, you are the church, we are the church together. And I'm not singing it because this is a recording. <laughs> um, all who follow Jesus all around the, the world, yes, we're the church together. The church is not a building. The church is not a steeple. The church is not a resting place. The church is a people For many kinds of people with many kinds of faces, all colors and all ages too, from all times and places. I think I love that because I feel like connection with Paul in the early church. Sometimes the church is marching, sometimes it's bravely burning, sometimes it's writing, sometimes hiding, but always it's learning. And when the people gather, there's singing and there's praying, there's laughing and there's crying, sometimes all of it saying, That's the refrain, we are the church. At Pentecost, some people received the Holy Spirit and told the good news through the world to all who would hear it. So we are the church, and we are a people, but we are a people. (laughs) And with people comes conflict, and it deals with all that confrontation that we're talking about with Paul and what Paul deals with. So the church is beautiful, all those things we mentioned, what the church is. And I just thought it was so special that even those two songs talked about what that church is and what it means to us to be reconciled with Christ. And I also love the fact that when we say, where was the line? Um, All who follow Jesus, I think Paul would say, okay, but let's talk about that. (laughs) Let's not just say all who follow Jesus, whatever that looks like to you. He is constantly saying what that means. What does it mean to be reconciled? What does it mean to be um, born again and to, to walk with that? So we are all people and we're all working together and to multiply and to be growing together as the church. Um, and so what I also love about what Paul was doing here is that he never, as I said, stops teaching, encouraging, confronting, and growing the church, who we are as people. And I love that, here, see if we can read this. He then dives in, as I said, that first part of the, of the Corinthians, Second Corinthians, is all about Paul wondering what the Corinthians are doing and still trying to encourage and teach them. Titus comes back and says, all is good. 
and Paul dives into, well, it's time to push them further then, okay? So he says, since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, again, he's affirming, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in the gracious act of giving. He jumps into sometimes what is considered one of the hardest topics to talk about is giving, asking people for money, right? And he wants his money to go to Jerusalem. He, he's not without purpose and without a great deal of gifting in that, but he goes right into it. So all things are good. I'm not sorry for confronting you. And now I want to ask you guys to give. And I love that about Paul. <laughs> he goes into it. But what is important here is that he sees the bigger picture, okay? He wants us, it, I think what we see here is a call to serve and to never settle in any area of our spiritual growth. And that often is giving too. And so Paul addresses that. He addresses the big picture and what all of that is as he builds that foundation for the church. And so as Paul continues to, come, uh, to confront Corinth, to teach them, to encourage them, um, to push them in spiritual growth in all areas, he does so with God's help. And he still has this kind of, I think, almost concern that people are questioning his authority, right? I think that's been a big issue for Paul. And so what he does is he talks about where his authority comes from. He defends it. But he talks about this because God has equipped him. And I'm going to read this briefly. So he says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, We are human, but we don't wage war as humans do. We use God's mighty weapons to knock down the strongholds of human reasoning and to destroy false arguments. We destroy every proud obstacle that keeps people from knowing God. We capture the rebellious thoughts and teach them to obey Christ. So again, he's going through all this idea of confrontation. He's talking about growing in all our spiritual ways, including giving. And he talks about this saying, I am sharing this with you through my authority given to me by God. And then in turn, we get to rely on Paul's authority too. Um, but he's talking here about God's weapons. What do you guys think God's weapons are? Oh, don't, don't give them the answers. <laughs> so we talk about God's weapons, and he says it's not of the earth. What are these weapons that God has equipped Paul with and that we can also be equipped with when dealing with confrontation or growing spiritually? How has God equipped us? Through prayer. Through prayer, absolutely. The power of prayer. His what? His word, absolutely. We can absolutely rely on this. And I love the fact here, if you can see here, mine's in chronological order. We're almost done, ladies. We're getting really close. Um, but what's important is that when we're done reading the Bible, we're not going to just say, all right, did it, done. We will continue to open the Bible and go to it. That is our gift from God. He equips us with the word. So, What other ways? How does God equip us? With each other. With each other, absolutely. He gives us each other. He gives us the people, the church, right? 
How else has he equipped us? What was that? Holy Spirit, absolutely. Okay. Any others? Okay, I'll share you with my, my little forgiveness. Forgiveness is huge. And that's where, again, I think it's important to see reconciliation is different than judgment. Reconciliation is forgiveness and walking together. And then, yeah, I think that's huge. All right, fine. We'll go, we'll go put that up there. And these aren't the only weapons that God has given us, right? Um, But just some of them here we have, and some of these will be repeated. Prayer, faith, hope, love. We have God's word. And of course, we have Christ's life, death, and resurrection that changes everything. We have the Holy Spirit, patience, truth. So again, we are equipped to deal and to walk together as a church, to deal with confrontation in whatever form that is so that we can have reconciliation for ourselves and for those around us, for those we love. Because we do it out of love. And what's important, I think, here to see is that as I read that portion, he talked about them being from heaven. These aren't earthly weapons, are they? When people are expecting weapons from God, for example, when, we're, when people were waiting anxiously for Jesus to come, a lot of people were surprised. Was Jesus what they were expecting? No, they wanted an earthly ruler to come and to conquer, right? In the very earthly way. And so that's why a lot of the Jewish people had conflict. They were hung up because their expectations were so different. They were very earthly. But Jesus came with a heavenly expectation, and he fulfilled a heavenly heavenly need so that we on earth could be reconciled. And so God's weapons also are of heaven, of something that is not of the earth. And so when Paul goes on and, and continues in his letters, He's going to talk about what I call Paul's resume. So thank goodness we have these weapons. Thank goodness Paul had these weapons because he went through a lot, right? He went through many, many things. And we'll talk about what his weakness is and his thorn is even as he's going through all the things that he went through. So I'm going to go ahead and read for a bit. 2 Corinthians 11.23. Okay. And what's important to talk about here is that when he, right before he shares all his trials and tribulations, he says things like, I am a fool to talk like this. Such boasting is not from the Lord. Right? What he is recognizing is that one of his fears was with Corinth was that they were going to ask for references. That they were almost going to ask for his resume. Prove to us that we should follow you. What, what is your authority? And give us some earthly examples. Because at this time, all right, in, in the Roman Empire, what was common practice was for people before they, they died later on, later in their years, that they would literally in stone write their accomplishments and leave it near their home. They would do it in buildings. They would do it all over. But you would write your accomplishments, your ranks, what you did, what you did here on earth for your glory. 
so here's Paul dealing with that confrontation and handling it not in what the world is expecting. He kind of turns it upside down. And he's not going to list his strengths. He's not going to list all his accomplishments. He doesn't say, I started this church and this church and this church. I converted X amount of people. God told me this. I got to see this. He lists his trials and tribulations. Again, turning what the people are expecting upside down. So let's read it. So 11, 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. And it's important to note here, too, that these are the trials and tribulations he's faced as of now, so far, and he's going to face more. I know that I sound like a madman, but I have served him far more. I have worked harder, been put in prison more often, been whipped times without number, and faced death again and again. Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I have traveled on many long journeys. I have faced danger from rivers and from robbers. I have faced danger from my own people, the Jews, as well as from Gentiles. I have faced danger in the cities, in the deserts, and on the seas. And I have faced dangers from men who claim to be believers, but are not. I have worked hard and long, enduring many sleepless nights. I have been hungry and thirsty and have often gone without food. I have shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Then besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak without my feeling that weakness? Who is led astray and I do not burn with anger? So again, these aren't the boasts that you write in stone and say, look what I have done. But we'll talk about how he's done it with Christ, right? Through his weaknesses, Christ is made strong and we are made strong. So if I must boast, I would rather boast about the things that show how weak I am. God, the Father of our Lord Jesus, who is worthy of eternal praise, knows I am not lying. And then I love how he finishes this, like, really, this is not what you're going to expect. When I was in Damascus, the governor under King Eratus kept guards at the city gates to catch me. And is he going to say what he did? And he fought. He says, I had to be lowered in a basket through the window in the city wall to escape from him. I had to flee. He had to humble himself and run. So again, he's taking what the earth is expecting of him and boasting in his weaknesses. And to many, this will sound foolish. But to those who know who Christ is and what he can do through our weaknesses and through our struggles, this is truth. This is strength through Christ. So now that we talked about the weaknesses and how we're made strong with it, it is by grace that we learn about uh, Paul's thorn. 2 Corinthians 12, 6 through 10. I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, I was given a thorn in my flesh a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from being proud. Three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. Each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me, like the song. That's why I take pleasure in my weaknesses and in the insults, hardships, persecutions, and troubles that I suffer for Christ. For when I am weak, I am strong. So the question is, and this is a big question, can we rely on God's grace 
and be content in our own weaknesses. Contentment is hard, right? Especially when we're weak and when we're suffering. And that can come in different ways. That thorn can be a physical ailment. It can be a temptation. It can be an ongoing confrontation, right? But can we rely on Christ, on God's grace, to find contentment in that and use Paul as our example? So just to sum up what we've talked about today with this reading, we've talked about Paul's example of confrontation for God's glory and living in the truth of God's salvation, and I would add, for reconciliation. We as a church of people strive not to settle in any area of spiritual growth. As Paul has pushed his people, we are pushed ourselves. And God equips us. We can lean on him as we grow and in our weaknesses. And in our weaknesses, God's grace is sufficient so that we can be content and live for his glory. Okay, so I feel like I talked a lot today. There was a lot in this reading. Um, But I hope it brings about some much-needed conversation about what confrontation is, what reconciliation is, what our weaknesses are, and how we can depend on what God has equipped us with to move forward in that for reconciliation.